Ladies and gents, my name's Aidan Elliott and welcome back to The Inspiration Space. We have another cracker of an episode for you today, uh, but before we get onto that, I want to introduce to you today's episode sponsor. Fat Llama is the fastest growing rental marketplace for stuff in the world. It's a website and app which allows people to rent out their belongings to others nearby, fully insured for cash. Fat Llama users are renting anything from film gear, projectors and PA systems, to road bikes and camper vans. The platform is available throughout the UK and US and users are earning up to £3,700 per month. On a personal note, I've been using Fat Llama recently to rent out my podcast recording equipment and will undoubtedly earn my initial investment back on the items in no time at all. I guarantee you all have considerable amounts of stuff lying around your house that is rarely or never used that can be rented out to others for money. Get onto Fat Llama. For me, it's an absolute no-brainer. On the other side of the coin, how often have you needed something for a brief period of time and, and haven't purchased the item from a retailer's due to the cost not warranting it? Well, Fat Llama has the solution. If you type in fatlama.com forward slash r forward slash the inspiration space and sign up, you will receive £25 off your first rental. Or if you'd like to head to my website, the link will be on my show notes. Right, okay, let's get on to what we have in store for you today. Firstly, I want to apologize for the radio silence over the last few months. Um, Lots and lots of stuff has been going on in my life. But it's now time for another burst of episodes to help you stay motivated and realize that life can be one hell of an exciting journey. Today, I am releasing an episode that I took a few days before setting off to run one of the hardest foot races on earth. I ran the Wadi Rum Ultra with two friends under the bracket of the Trailblazers Club with the intention of a of raising as much money for Young Minds UK as possible. What we achieved and how we did it will be revealed on my next episode. Trust me, guys, you want to hear that one. It was one hell of a week. On today's episode, I have Tom Dawson Squibb, high-performance coach and speaker, predominantly works in South Africa with sporting organizations. Tom has worked with the likes of the Stormers, who are a top team in the Super 18, Ajax Cape Town and UCT Rugby. Tom really does does have such a great perspective on how to reach top performance within organisations. For me, as an individual, listening to him speak was very enlightening on some of the professional issues that I have had in the past. The importance of leadership and organisational structure can be so key to performance on an individual level. Tom also has such a passion for the power of sport and you can really hear it in this episode. You can also listen to Tom on YouTube by typing his full name into the search browser. I also recommend following him on Twitter at The Sporting Mind. Talking to Tom before going on a five-day ultramarathon was very helpful. It helped me align my mind correctly and encouraged me to be positive presence for my teammates. I strongly recommend listening to this episode the whole way through as as Tom has got a wonderfully composed and passionate approach to the field that he works in. Enjoy, guys. Have a great day. 
throughout university. In fact, even when I was at school, I started coaching sport a little bit. Um, then throughout university, carried on doing that sort of. Um, then I left university and started working in the leadership and sort of change management consulting world. Um, I was obviously quite young and inexperienced, so I started to do some work in the school space. Um, did some leadership work at a school at two different schools, and both of them said, "Oh, you know, would you be able to come and do a couple of things with our rugby team?" Um, you know, set help them set goals and that kind of thing. So I did a little bit of that, and. Um, they quite liked it. So they said, oh, can you do a little bit more, you know? So anyway, I carried on doing that for a while. And then I left that job and I ended up, I ended up sort of doing a couple of different things for a while. One of them being a marketing kind of role, which to be honest, I was quite crap at. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then, and then that came to a close in about July uh, of 2010. And then I decided, she's, I didn't, I didn't actually have a job. It wasn't very really glamorous. So I said to myself, well, what I really want to do is work on the sort of mental side of sports. So myself and a, and a guy that I'd befriended a couple of years earlier who worked in also the, the, the leadership and changey space. So we decided to start this business called Head Start together. Um, my sort of proviso was that I was going to um, sign up to do a master's as well. Um, so I signed up to do a master's, which would commence in January and started Head Start in August. Um yeah, so that's that's really, and then it it all sort of kicked off a little bit from there. So that that was the that's the beginning story. Fantastic, fantastic. So in terms of Head Start, it it works with um, sports teams predominantly, or or is it business and, yeah. and sports? Yeah. So how it's kind of evolved now is, it, I mean, Head Start is is I would say sixty percent of my time is 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 corporate work. Mm. Um, of which I, do, I don't do through Head Start. I do I do through another organization called Lockstep, um, which is it's, it all sounds complicated. But the guy that started Head Start with me, mm. he's always had this business called Lockstep. So I'm not doing a lot of corporate work through his business. Um, and yeah, we we uh, I do do the odd bit of corporate stuff through Head Start as well, and have done over the years. Mm. Um, but it's but it's it's a sporting kind of brand and thing. But it is essentially just me um, with that with that brand. Interesting, interesting. I I was uh, doing research on uh, uh, Start and yourself yesterday, and I watched the the video on your website uh, essentially of, of a fantastic sporting moment. Um, and this, of course, is the 2008 Olympics where the US four by one hundred relay um, they they weren't at all the favourites in in this race and. Uh, they, of course, had the fantastic Michael Phelps, but it wasn't actually Michael Phelps that got them through that race. It, it was um, 35-year-old veteran Jason Lezak. I, I just want you to talk to our listeners a bit about, you know, um, what this story means to you in regards to human performance, I mean, and, and the elements that are involved. Uh, would that be all right? Because uh, when you told that story on your website, it kind of made me tingle a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one because I am... Um... I haven't for a while, but I often show that little video clip and story to different people, you know, as just a, as a, as a stimulator. And it's every time I watch it and you hear the commentator, so, oh, you know, there goes Jason Lezak. I get that same little tingle. Um, I think it's, yeah. you, you know, first and foremost, it's the beauty of sports, isn't it? It's that, mm. it's that comeback. It's that, um, it's that thing that you're least expecting. And I think, you know, if I, if I go not to try and get too deep, but I think if I, 
think about myself, there's there's the theater of sport that attracts me. You know, I'm one of those people that can watch a lot of sports mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time. You know, much to the much to the um, disappointment <laughs> of my girlfriend. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was about to say that we all go through that one. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I think that, that 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 is first and foremost the amazing thing. I think, um, you know, one must be careful. One must be careful to sort of attach false causalities and, you know, say, oh, they always believed it and therefore they won. You know, I mean, we, we, we can't test that scientifically. But I think there is something to be said around the magnitude of that moment enabled enabled these acts to do something special you know and i think i think what makes it more amazing is when they when they swim in the individual race that these act doesn't really feature you know but as part of that group as part of that team with that greater purpose um they were able to do something that's a little bit special you know um Absolutely. So yeah, I suppose, I suppose that's it. I don't know if you want me to tell the whole story, but yeah, uh, I, I would love it. I mean, if you, yeah, if you uh, don't like it, it, well, I mean, to, to, to yeah, just just touch on uh, it and basically yeah. what it means because it really it really is one of my favorite, like one of one of the best examples of of um of of a, of, a, of a team uniting with a greater purpose. I just think it's such a fantastic example. Yeah, I mean, I think I think so. It's the four by one hundred, and they're not the favourites. So the favourites are you got the you got the Australians. You still got the South Africans in there who had done well in two thousand and four, mm-hmm. um, but then you've got the French, and the French have got Freddie Biscay, and they've got a Bernard, who are two really really good sprinters, and obviously America have Phelps, but they don't really have much else. Um, and in you know the normal way of swimming is that you send off your best swimmer last, what they call the anchor leg. Um, and he, he goes last or she goes last and sort of, you know, finishes strong like Usain Bolt would in the 4x100 kind of thing. Um, but America decided that that wasn't going to work so because they'd done the figures and the times and the stats. So they said, right, let's send off Michael Phelps first. Let's get him, you know, let him get us a big lead and then um, the rest of us can, you know, try to hang on for dear life, including <laughs> Jack. 35-year-old kind of a little bit past his prime, but, he, you know, he'll do. And the irony is I don't even think Phelps wins his leg. Um, and 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 they they worked it out. I, I forget the exact number, but they worked it out that, that on, on times, Lizak would need to get off the blocks at least 0.4 seconds ahead of Alain Bernard. Um, and he gets off the blocks 0.3 seconds behind Alain Bernard. So there's a 0.7 second gap. And then Bernard actually pulls away from him. And you hear the commentators starting to say like, oh, you know, maybe they can hold on for second place. And then I think it's with about 25 meters to go. You just, uh, you know, it depends on what commentary you watch. I've watched a lot of a few different commentaries. <laughs> The American commentary is amazing. He's like, oh, Isaac, he's closing in on him. You know, and just the the, the, uh, the, the, the tone of his voice just starts, it just flies up and there's energy. And then, yeah, Isaac just pips him at the post by an absolute, um, you know, I, I don't know, by a couple of millimeters, he pips him at the post. And, 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 I wish I'd and, seen that one live. Yeah, I know, I know. Did, did, you, I, did you watch that live? I didn't see it live. Oh, no, I, the story. You know, I know the story was told to me, and obviously when I watched it, and yeah. found out a little bit more about it. But no, I know it would have been epic. But there'll been. be many more to come. There'll there be many will. More I mean, I actually had a guy. Um, uh, I say a guy, a, he- a British uh, athletic hero on the show, a guy called Chris Akabusi, and it's pretty much the same, exactly the same story. It said it was a four by one hundred. Um, 
no four by 400 uh, meter uh, sprint relay and they did exactly the same thing they put chris at the end who at the time was was the the veteran of the team and and he pips the uh, the american favorites at the post and that's what kind of when I first saw that that video on your website, I was like, "That is, it's, it's very similar characteristics of, of how the the leadership of the team and the sort of elements of human performance were, were very, very similar to, to that story you just told." Yeah, it's awesome, man. Eh? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and there'll be more to come, I'm sure. There will be. That's the beauty of sport. That's the beauty of sport, and I think that's why it's so interesting to me when I when I spoke to uh, Tom, my good friend, about you is that's just, I just I, I would absolutely adore to do what you do I mean work in sporting environments every day and inspire people and and help you know increase human performance um and one of the things that I'm sorry I keep referring to your website is that you get organizations fit for change um and I would really love you just to, to expand on that concept a little further uh, and the importance of it today, especially within, you know, such a disruptive culture that we live in, you know, it's in, all, in, in, in a business environment. Uh, so you've got like the Airbnbs and all this kind of, all of these kind of things, but also in sport, I mean, it's everything's changing all the time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just don't know what we don't know. Hey? So I think, I, I, you know, one of the real key things in, in, in dealing with change is creating a culture of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still seeing, I think, a lot in sport that that, that hasn't really, we haven't really stepped up to the plate um, in that sense, you know. Um, there's obviously learning that takes place outside of the organization uh, and specifically in the scientific field. But I think in the human field, in the sort of psychological, the I use in sort of inverted commas, the softer field, um, I think there's still a lot of, a lot of um, work to be done. So I think... Because we don't know what we don't know and we don't know what innovations are coming into place. And, and as you say, you know, we live in a disrupted world and change is exponential, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think even sporting organizations and sports people, you need to have your – Nelson Mandela said, my, my, um, my, my, my strategies changed all the time, but my principles never changed. Mm, I love um, that. I love and, that. And I, and I, yeah, and I think it's important that – you know, okay, so what are my non-negotiables as a sporting organization or team? Like, what are the things that we stand for? You know, what is our purpose? Because that may not shift. You know, our purpose may be strong. Our certain values or principles may be strong. Um, but we're going to have to adapt. We're going to have to shift. We're going to have to, you know, do all sorts of things. And I'm sure we're going to see it more and more. You know, the, mm-hmm. the car industry is going to be disrupted. Um you know, with electric cars and all those kinds of things. Many industries are going to be disrupted. So, um, I, I, yeah, I think I think fitness for change. One of the key things is to is to try and create a culture of learning. And you know that that really is around increasing awareness. You know, are people having conversations? Are we disrupting ourselves? Mm. You know, the the role of the coach is often to disrupt before people know they need to be disrupted. Mm. You know, I heard a wonderful um, analogy of a guy in the states that calls himself a corporate irritant, <laughs> and what he does. Yeah, what he does is he goes around, you know, he works with people and, and asks them the tough questions and um, annoys them, disrupts them, you know. So people are not getting disrupted and uh, too late and it becomes an absolute failure. They're rather getting disrupted, um, you know, they're rather getting disrupted in, in good time so they can proactively change rather than reactively change. That's fantastic. I mean, it's almost um, essentially getting someone to consistently push you outside your comfort zone a little bit like that. Is that, is that kind of kind of it essentially yeah never, yeah, never no, being comfortable change, yeah no i think change change is is, is very discomfort mm. you know is, is very uncomfortable and i think um 
You think about the you think about the human reactions to change at a very sort of primitive level. You know, there's anger, there's fear, there's denial, there's all those kind of things. You know, um, so reframing those things is important. Um, you know, leading change. What, what, what are you seeing from your leadership? Okay, so we're in a you know, one of the key components of performance is a thing that we call psychological safety. You know, so in a disruptive world, we're in a disruptive space. So, so uh, are your leadership creating a place where you can feel safe? You know, um, it's, 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 I equate it to if you're going to go and play the FA Cup final, if you're going to go and, you know, England versus the All Blacks at Twickenham or something for your oh, context. That would be epic. <laughs> uh, <you> know, <laughs> if, you, if, if you think about that, that, that's not a safe environment. You know, and people say, I'll oh, just go and enjoy yourself. Like, I'm not convinced about that. Like, it's not safe. It's tough, you know. Um, but as a leadership group, what can you do? If you, if you look around and you see Kieran Reid is, is sort of calm and he knows what he's doing and you know your coaches are calm and they're prepared, and that, uh, uh, not only just calm, but they're prepared and they're organized and they're believable and credible. Those things keep you safe, you know. So I think in a changing world or in a high pressure world, creating environments where people can feel psychologically safe is is an absolute must. You know? mm. That's epic. That's really really epic. I mean, yeah. I mean, I wasn't wasn't going to refer it to it too early, but obviously I've I've read a book that um, I don't know how it sits with you. It's called, it's called Legacy, and it's written by James Kerr, I believe. And it's a basic yeah. case study. You, have you read it? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a case study of the All Blacks. I'm assuming that's what. Yeah, I know. I've just I've just been told about it by about a thousand people. So <laughs> I'm like I'm not reading it. <laughs> just out of principle. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. I I um I, I I've heard a lot about it and read. I've got some sort of academic studies on them and heard a lot. I actually I just I just chatted once to the manager of the All Blacks and and and. He was quite upset about the book, and that they, 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 they didn't feel like they'd given him full permission to publish all that stuff. So oh, I was a bit put off by it, but um, I know that there's some great concepts in there. Yeah, yeah, no, he's just basically obviously refer back to what you just said in terms of that kind of disruptive culture and constantly pushing themselves outside the comfort zone, which allows them to keep moving forward and and allows them to deal with um, pressure in the in those moments of high emotion, uh, which I know that you've spoken about as well. Um, when you go into organisations, obviously corporate and sport pressure is very, very, very high. Um, what's your philosophy on on how we, how uh, to deal with uh, emotion and, and, and pressure? And, and yeah, what what are some sort of strategies? It might depend on the organisation, but what sort of strategies do you put in place? Because a lot of people that listen to this podcast will probably have you know decent to high, high level jobs and and will be in pressurized situations so i think they'd love to hear kind of your your take and view on that yeah sure um there's a couple of things for me um so pressure let, let's let pressure or fear or whatever it is that you're, you're experiencing the first thing is i don't believe that fear is a problem i don't believe that pressure is a problem or anger is a problem i think it's the fact that we we it's what i call the second emotion so the fact that I'm scared of the fact that I'm scared, it's the fact that I, um, let's say I go into bat and I'm feeling nervous because I've got a guy bowling at 90 miles per hour at me and I'm feeling nervous. I don't think it's a problem that you're feeling nervous. I think it's normal to feel nervous. But it's when you start being annoyed by the fact that you're nervous or you get angry at the fact that you're nervous or you get scared at the fact that you about the fact that you're nervous that's when it begins to spiral so what what do i mean by that i use a simple thing i use is triple a 
So the first one is is um, acknowledge. So acknowledge what is it that you're feeling. So the, that's why you know Sebastian, Lord Sebastian Coe. I think it's Lord Sebastian Coe. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, he says a champion has an insatiable desire to know to know more about himself or herself, and and that's why self awareness is so important. So the first one is. Let me let me acknowledge what is it that I'm experiencing. So I'm experiencing high strain because I'm working 14 hour days or something in my business, or because I'm you know playing in a major tennis tournament. Acknowledge that's the first thing. The second thing is accept. So, as I said, the second emotion is the problem. So it's the it's when we begin to fight what we're feeling. That's often when. So people say, "Oh, I must control my emotions." I'm not sure it's 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 it's, it's possible to control your emotions. One can manage your emotions. Um, you know, once again, Nelson Mandela said, courage is not the absence of the fear, of fear, it's the ability to manage it. So I think it's around, um, okay, I'm feeling nervous, I'm feeling under strain, let me accept that, take it in and be a little bit sort of rational about it, rather, spir- rather than spiraling or overly emotional about being emotional. And then the third A is, is, is act. So what is a small, controllable, tangible thing that I can do or be in order to get me moving along a path. So you're not going to go from feeling under intense pressure to feeling completely relaxed lying on the beach in a second. There's, there's no ways and, there's, and it's pointless trying to try. Mm. So, um, I mean, there's another sort of thing, but I, I believe in a theory called plus oneing. So um, my job is never to jump from a 6 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. Uh, my job is to get from a... Because, I don't want to go... I'm going to complicate things. But basically, you just want to... You just want to you just want to act in a way that can just get some more momentum going. Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling high strain at work. Let me acknowledge it. You know, I had a coaching session just last week. We were meant to sit and talk about leadership because we're doing a leadership program in this business. The reality is both people were under such extreme strain. that It was a complete waste of time for us to talk about leadership principles. So all we did was we acknowledged the strain for half an hour and there were tears and there was, you know, upset, but there was just an opportunity for these people to acknowledge and accept what they're feeling and to normalize that mm. because they are, they're under huge strain at work. Mm. And I think that in itself was a helpful, um, was a helpful task. And then we spent, you know, five, 10 minutes at the end going, okay, so what are our actions? And we came up with one or two little actions that they could do. But really it was just a session with me and them going through acknowledge, accept, act. Does that make sense? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just mindful of sort of psycho babble and all that kind of stuff. No, no, I love all that. Good. I love all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. I, find it, I find it fascinating the whole, um, I mean, it's becoming much more apparent in, in corporate. Are you there, Helen? Yeah, can, can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Sorry, I, I lost you there. I no, lost no, you there. No problem. Can you hear me now? Hello? Yeah, perfect. Cool, great. Yeah, no, I... I yeah, I can hear you. I, I love all that... Um, all that he said psycho babble stuff but I, lo- I love all that i think it's great because it's becoming a lot more apparent everywhere i look now in, in corporate culture of trying to sort of not just get on with work uh, the, the sort of mental side of work um people are starting to kind of address how you think more to to, to increase human performance so yeah everything you do is is absolutely fascinating to me and, and you just touched on the three a's there in terms of yeah. reacting with, with, with pressure. I mean, there was another, um, I don't know what the term is, but I, I, I listened to a video. You talked about the four P's in, in regards to, you know, strategizing, uh, within an organization. Um, can the, the, can you firstly, would it be okay if you expanded on the four P's 
Um, and, and, and secondly, I mean, can you, can you do that for organizations? Can, can individuals use that in the same way? So what I've been doing recently in a lot of my work, um, certainly in organizational work, is I put an empty chair in the room. And I say this empty chair represents all stakeholders. So who are the people who have an interest in us being here or in our organization? And, you know, you go through them and say, oh, you know, us and our fa- our families and our clients and our suppliers and our, you know, the economy at large and, the, our, you know, whatever. you can. And, 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 and that really is to try and get you to understand, like, what purpose are you serving? Who are you serving and what need are you fulfilling? You know, mm-hmm. I think purpose... Purpose is, is is so important for businesses because it's the it's the it's the lifeblood, isn't it? It's the Absolutely. petrol in the tank. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the I often say like if you're going to drive from uh, London to Devon, you know, your what is I want to drive to Devon. Your how is I need a driver with a license and a working car, and your why is your petrol. You know, um, and it's uh, your purpose is your petrol, and it's I think that's really really important because. It's amazing how it unifies people, um, and we need to be. We we certainly need to understand that we are there as a result of a need that we are serving, mm-hmm. not just because we're there. You know, so I think uh, that 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 need focus, that outside in, what what is it that we're doing that serves the world? You know, is a great qu- question to ask a business or a leader of an organization. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I mean, I'm going to refer to myself here a little bit. It's, I, I had a seriously tough time at work about a year and a half, two years ago, and I think when I think back, it was because that purpose just wasn't there. I mean, it, it affects you remarkably as an individual. Um, well, just from personal experience, not having that clear purpose of something that's slight, something bigger than yourself, especially something to work towards at your, you know, occupation. It's actually quite debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's Dan Pink. He writes in his book, Drive, and he says um, the three biggest motivators for people, um, obviously uh, not blue collar workers, but just sort of white collar worker, Mm. um, is uh, progress, Mm. uh, autonomy. So, progress, can I get better? Mm. And am I getting better? Autonomy, um, am I, can I do things on my own and, and meaning or purpose? Um, so, and, and you know, there's so much reading at the moment around millennials and millennials want purpose in their job and what have you. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think, I think an organization that feels very purposeful is easier for people to gravitate towards and be engaged in, you know, and then there's the, then where you want the match or the congruence is between your individual purpose as an individual and purpose organization's purpose you know when there's a match there then there's congruence and the engagement's likely to be higher yeah absolutely couldn't agree more the, the next thing you talk about is, is your, your principles um the things that govern every decision you make um essentially yeah. is that like a in an organization is that kind of like the mission statement or i mean could you speak a little bit about that oh, i suppose it's different it's different it's different for different people like for, for me it would be a little bit more like your values mm. um you know, so there's certain things that I, I like to 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 ask a simple question. You know, you know those values conversations can be very dry and very generic and boring. Um, I like to ask the questions like, what in this business? What would we say absolutely yes to, and what would we say absolutely no to? You know, um, it's a bit like and, essential, and, essentialism, kind of 
kind of in a way like where you yeah yeah to- yeah exactly exactly and bearing in mind that a value is not a value unless it costs you something so a principle is not a principle unless it costs you something mm-hmm. so if you're saying yeah one of our big things in our in our business is honesty you know one of our principles is honesty i'll say that's fine absolutely perfect i, I admire that and i think it's great what you've got to remember with honesty is it's going to potentially cost you customers. It's going to potentially cost you friends. Mm. It's going to potentially cost you being liked, mm. you know, because you might say, you know, I might say to your head and, you know, the real, I'm just being really honest. I've noticed that, uh, you know, you're doing X, Y, and Z that's, that's, you know, not working so well. It's not serving the, the organization. You might say, oh, Tom, you know, who, who the hell are you? And, and what have you? And that breaks down a relationship. I mean, it shouldn't, but, you know, um, so, so I think um, the principles I would say are more like values, and they and they 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 need to be clearly understood mm. in practical terms. You know, not just your standard pride, passion, honesty, integrity. We've all heard that. What does that mean in practical terms, and what might that cost us? Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so, so true. So true. So it's, it's almost like a backbone of something to to unify. Like like the purpose, it kind of keeps everybody on the same level. And understanding throughout the organization so it's just it's super super key um, yeah just think about it if you're going to make decisions under pressure or if your business you know there's a tough you know do we go this way or do we go that way you want something to evaluate it again they, they make the decision for you almost just having those 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. awesome uh, the next bit is particulars um and, and yeah i mean I, I I understand it, but yeah, if you could elaborate on, on this, um, that'd be great as well. Just to, just to, to follow up on principles. I believe I'm trying to make this simple. I, I believe that, that that action breeds action, um, and that uh, businesses and teams and people it, they're sort of momentum creators. So if you can be quite particular around what it is that you're wanting to do. In a very small and tangible way, you can begin to build momentum. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think also the, the reality in, in today's age is that strategies are changing from what they used to be because the five-year strategy is no longer useful because in five years, God knows what's going to be happening. You know, So mm-hmm. it's almost like we've got to be very particular around what we want to do right now that is well communicated, that is well understood, that is very practical, and that will get us momentum. You know, and it will put us into a into the best possible space mm. to deal with whatever challenges are going to happen in twelve months. So true. I mean, when I when I heard you speak about this yesterday, I mean, it's just such a good phrase. Particulars. I just think it's so good, and and and, you're, and it's so true as well. Like, especially in the disruptive culture, which you spoke about earlier, three to six months is it's a much better time bracket than a five ten year plan because everything has changed changes so fast. Um, and, and I feel like it helps. It just helps the focus of the organization and the team. If, if you have those sort of uh, time periods of you know, three, six months, something to work towards. So, yeah, that really, that really stood out to me. And, and that would. When you look at the organizations like the Springboks and All Blacks, mm. um, there's almost two facets to it. So, there's the organization, mm. you know, that has the marketing arm and the finance and the running the whole, the whole system of rugby. Um, and then you have the team. And they should be 100% aligned, but I think the reality is they're not. Uh, well, certainly the Springboks aren't. Um, so the team, the team operates almost in their own little in their own little silo away from from the organisation. Not, not away, fully away, but certainly they're, they're quite isolated. You know. Yeah. Um, so I think my point there is that 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 running the Springbok team is not that huge organisation. You know, you're dealing with 30 odd players and the management staff of X. It's it's not a massive thing to to um, 
to, to manage. I think what's important, um, and I uh, sort of to go back to what I said at the start of the conversation, is to create a really good process for learning. So how how are we evaluating whether our strategy is working? How are we evaluating our progress? Because if it's only done by did we win or did we lose, you are going to miss so much. Mm. Because in sport, the bounce of the ball or the referee's call or the nature of the opposition, um, anything, you know, there's all these extraneous things that can influence whether you win or lose. And I think it's, 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 it's fine. I, I don't know. I'm not saying I've got the recipe, but certainly are we having proper, honest, well thought through, well constructed conversations that will allow us to learn in real time? Yeah. I, you know that for me is a is a is a, one of the cruxes of of of, of strategy, mm. you know, um, and of, of of an effective organizational team. Yeah, so constantly, essentially, consistently measuring what, if what you're doing is working. In a way, is that is that kind of definitely that forms part of it. You know what what are you measuring? Yeah. You know, what are your critical measures? Are you just measuring wins and losses? Mm. Are you you know you take rugby? You know, you can measure tackle completion you can measure uh, gain line dominance you can measure you can, you can measure physical you know um those things you can measure then there's also things you know that are probably a little harder to measure but um you know at what rate are individuals individuals own game growing at what rate is the collective resilience growing you know how quickly are we able to respond to errors is that growing is that improving you know all of those kinds of things which are, which will impact winning at the end are we are we tracking those and then i, I suppose the the real hard part is to is, is the part we spoke about earlier around disruption you know are we able would what, what are the all blacks doing to continuously make sure that they maintain continuous improvement you know they keep winning so if winning was their only measure, there's a chance that they would get complacent and bored, you know. But they've obviously put processes and systems in place that make sure they're continuously challenging, you know, all the time. So their strategy is emergent. So so awesome. So awesome. The last the last bit you spoke about in these these four Ps, and it's something for me that um I've really noticed, not just uh, in in a working environment, just in sort of personal life. And you talk about people. Um so you can do all these things, you can have a purpose, principles, particulars, but obviously the people within the organization um, or the people within your life, I suppose you could say as well, you know, if, if, if they're not um, stimulating you and, and improving your environment, then, you know, it can be extremely, um, what's, the, what's the word I should use here? Um, uh, well, yeah, but they, if they're not helping your environment, um, they're, they're essentially not not improving it, and, and they and they're kind of uh, wrecking your progress. Is this something you strongly believe in? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things you mentioned. I think um, you know when you do work with individual or with any people, um, you know, there's that there's that uh, there's things we have called KPIs, key performance indicators. I'm sure you all heard of them. Um, I, I like people to think about your KPPs as well, your key performance people. Awesome. And it's almost like having a squad of people. So you have your supporters and you have your challenges or your disruptors. You know, you have your people who can stimulate you. And, and just knowing who are your people that you can go to at various points of time to um, 
you know, to, to, to get the best out of you. So that's the one thing you mentioned. I think the other thing you mentioned is around having people in organizations. I think there's obviously skill and then there's character. And I think, yes, you've got to hire for skill. Of course you need skills and you need them now. And I, but I think, um, one should also look at character when hiring. Um, you know, does the person have an organizational fit? I know of, a, of an organization here in Cape Town that um, you, you, you'll have one or two interviews, but then you'll have your final interview will be a team interview. So you'll actually get interviewed by the team that you would be working for. So they're just looking for team fit. Does this person fit the, the energetically, culturally, you know, character-wise? And I think that's really, really important. I know... So Clive Woodward spoke about uh, energy creators and energy sappers. Um, and, and um, you know, if you're an energy sapper, you'd want it to get rid of you. And if you're an energy creator, you wanted to keep you, you know, because energy sappers are like a cancer. Um, I also think on top of that, that even the, that every person has the ability to be an energy creator and an energy sapper. And it's the job of leadership to make sure that, you put people in positions that allow their that allow their strengths to come through and allow their personalities to, to flourish. Um, so I think often someone is not a bad person, someone is not an energy sapper. They're just put into a position that elicits that those that out of them. Either there's a clash with their leader, or they're being asked to do work that doesn't fit in with their purpose or doesn't fit in with their strengths, and then they can become a drain. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense, and it kind of leads me onto. The I mean. Yeah, sorry. Carry on. Yeah, to, to, to paraphrase Jim Holland's writing, good to go. He says, get the right people on the bus and in the right seats. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it kind of leads me on to my next question, really. Um, yeah, because like you do work with a lot of corporate companies, and I mean, when you when you go into these um, uh, uh, organizations and, and you speak with them, are those people that are like, let's uh, quote Clive Woodward here, energy sappers? Do they come uh, obvious to you? quite quickly when you start working with these teams? Um, I mean, is there any characteristics of, of um, these, you know, sort of individuals that you can see are, are, are at, that, at that point in time having kind of negative effect, yeah. negative, negative yeah. effects so, on performance? So, 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 so I suppose the quick answer is yes. Mm. I, I think one needs to be mindful that um, – I, I believe I believe a person is a bit more malleable than that, and and they may be displaying energy sapping behavior. Mm. They may not be energy sappers. Mm. You know, there's always a difference between behavior and 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 a person's character. So yes, you might get one person who's consistently showing behavior, and that's just the nature of who they are. And then yes, you know, they're not going to work. Some people, you know, they might be. If I, if I were to see them in a workshop environment, you also got to remember that a workshop environment is contrived. It's not, it's not day to day. It's not real, you know? So, um, I think the big, a big part of it is to, is to help people be aware of the concepts of energy creation or energy sapping, um, to use Woodward's language and, 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 and what, what can they spot in themselves or what do they need to know about themselves? What, what do they know about themselves when they're in each sort of camp? Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's also nice, you know, it's also nice if you're in a team environment for them to share, you know, I, I feel like I'm a bit of an energy sapper when X, Y, and Z and, you know, get feedback from your, from your, from your team members as well. Um, so I'm, I, I, I suppose to answer your question, I'm mindful of putting someone in a box straight away because I don't think that's right or fair. Sure. Um, 
but to help people be aware of, 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 of what they're displaying and why they're displaying it and what the effect that's having on others is an important process. And you also you also kind of answered the question I had now in terms of it starts with at that point that leadership is key in, in trying to get the best out of those people and kind of change changing giving that that person a shift in mindset. So yeah, that's that's really it comes from leadership in a way. Yeah, big time, big yeah. time. I mean, not 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 entirely because obviously the person has a has a role to play as well. You know, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to foster that mm-hmm. that belief that. You know, I'm unhappy or I'm energy zapping. It's all because of my leader. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that that for me is like a victim mindset. But um, th- there's definitely a role of of leadership as well as a role of the person. So true, so true. I mean, I've I've had a massive mindset shift since my management changed. Um, and when you said that, that kind of just uh, really made me. Oh, really? Yeah, massively, massively. I mean, people, you know, people are unique, aren't they? It's, they are. I mean, people react better to different forms of management and. Uh, it, it, you know, certain organizations probably just don't fit certain people. Yeah. I mean, one of the key sort of human motivators is belonging, you know, and people want to feel like they can belong. Yeah. And, 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 and a manager's job is to make that person feel like they can belong. You know? yeah. And how are you going to feel you belong? You've got a voice, you can be heard and you can execute your skills well to, to, to add to a greater cause, you know? And, um, so if you're being put in places where you don't feel like you're adding value or be heard, then it's you know you're unlikely to belong, and then you're going to probably feel you know less happy. Yeah, sure. Tom, I've uh, really, 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 really enjoyed uh, listening to absolutely everything you've had to say. Um, it's been really fascinating. I love speaking about this kind of side of things. Um, the more I grow up, the more these kind of things come apparent to me in, in so, sort of social and, and working environments. Um, what I'd love to know. What I'd love to know is, is you know, what's next? What's the next kind of big thing on the agenda for you? Are, are you working with any big sports teams? You know, what kind of projects are you working towards at the moment that you could talk to us about? Yeah, um, yeah. So at the moment, I am working uh, in a competition that we call the Curry Cup, which is our sort of local rugby competition here. And That's wicked. Yesterday. That's great. I love the Curry Cup. Always watch it. Sky, uh, Sky it's- Sports over here. It's on. It's on every week. Oh, brilliant! Okay, cool. Yeah, so we we yeah we actually just had a game yesterday where where we um it was actually really now nice. we we won in injury time. Our nineteen year old fly half kicked a penalty to win the game in wow. injury time, which is pretty special. That's epic. Yeah, it was that. <laughs> yeah, it was epic. It was epic. Um, so so I'm working there. Um, I'm about to start uh, doing a little bit of work with the South African under nineteen cricket team. Yeah. Um, they they got a World Cup in in January, so I'm going to do a little bit of prep work with them. Uh, and then I'm doing some um, what we call aspire leaders work. So they work with like three or four companies at the moment. Um, there are four companies uh, in the space of aspiring leadership, which is people who aren't necessarily on the extra, but they are high potentials and, and you know, are being groomed for, for, for higher honors within the exposed businesses. So I'm doing quite a bit of work in that space. Uh, we've got a project that runs over six months which involves workshops, coaching, mentoring, project, uh, like sort of action learning stuff. So, um, yeah, fa- fairly busy. I've got some individual clients that I'm coaching um, in professional sports as well. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a fairly, it's a, it's a busy enough time, you know, busy, busy, let's busy. take on some things and, um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's what's happening now. I think my, 
my desire is still to be able to do some more work overseas um, at, at some stage of my career. Um, sure, come over, it'll, it'll come, come, come over here. I think we could, we could do it a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. Like I'd you. love to. That, <laughs> I'd love to. I mean, uh, I'll use my little British passport to, uh, to good effect, hopefully. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah, for sure. Please. Uh, it would be, be awesome. Oh, you don't have a... You, you don't have a surname like Dawson Scribb and not be British, let's be honest. The last question I would love to ask you, and it's something I ask a lot, a lot of people who come on the show, um, you know, who have got inspirational stories and, and do some really, really amazing stuff. Um, it would be, you know, what advice would you give to, to somebody in their kind of early 20s who, who's looking for a bit of direction and, and a little bit of a path? Um because a lot of the listeners of this show are, are kind of in that kind of balance, in that um, gap between university and finding really what they want to do. And, and I found that it is, it is from people I've spoken to over the years and who are my age, you know, people do struggle in that period and, and they kind of, they look for advice. So if you had, I was just wondering if you, if you had any kind of uh, one thing you would, you would say to, to, to somebody in that, in that situation. Um. Yeah, I would say action breeds action. And I think um, the biggest thing you can do is expose yourself to as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So do things um, and then and then make sure that you have you are continuously connecting with people who can help you on your journey. Um, you know, whether it be going and meeting and learning things, whether it be saying, oh, you know, I tried this, this and this. Um, can you give me some advice or thinking and, and, and reflect and, and learn about yourself? So I would say, can, uh, do, get busy doing, you know, where the success, get busy doing. Can, so, uh, second, surround yourself with, surround yourself with people who can help you on that process. Don't be, don't be, don't be proud, uh, to ask for help, too proud to ask for help. And the third thing I'd say is it's never too early to start self-awareness journey, you know, understand, learn, see a coach, see a therapist, or just chat to a wise person, just try and understand more about yourself, um, what makes you tick, where you're good, where you're not good, um, and start that process as early as possible. You know, I think if you get those three things right, you'll, you'll be good. I think it's less around saying at 25, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, because the reality is most of the jobs out there that exist, we didn't know they existed when we were at school. So, you know, just get exposed, get exposed. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that, those statements anymore. Thank you so, so much, Tom, for, for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. If anyone wanted to follow you um, on, on, on any of the social media channels, YouTube, is there any links or anything like that? Yeah, so um, the best would be um, my, I've got a personal website, which is just my name, www.tomdawsonscribble.com. Um, and then I've, I'm on Twitter at the Sporting Mind. Great. Um, at uh, the Sporting Mind, I would say that's the, those are the best channels on Instagram at the Sporting Mind. But those are the those are the um, the best channels to follow me. Fantastic, thank you, Tom. Um, I would love to definitely catch up with you in the future, uh, as I really really enjoyed today, and I'm sure there's. I'll I'll be walking to work now, and I'll be thinking of like loads of things I wish I'd asked you, and um, and and uh, but but you know hopefully we can save that for next time uh, later down the line. Yeah. Anytime, and, and, and most of all, good luck with your run. <laughs> Thank you. This could be the last time you ever speak to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have, a, have a great time, and uh, yeah, take it all in. I will. Bob, thanks, Tom. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, man. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye now. Bye.